I do invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, and I do want to affirm you for being here today. I know you lost one hour of sleep, and it's just going to elevate the value of that Sunday afternoon nap. But if you'll just not take that nap until this afternoon, and let's stay with me here as we dive into God's Word together. You know, part of following Jesus every day includes engaging in difficulties of life. The road of following Jesus Christ every day is not absent potholes and speed bumps and surprises along the way. As you follow Jesus every day, you're going to experience real life. You're going to experience difficulties. You're going to experience surprises in life. And the question is not if or it's really when, and it's the bigger question is how will you respond when life gets difficult? How will you respond when you go through those seasons of uncertainty or uh, maybe it's an uphill climb? It's how do you respond? And sometimes the anxiety of life increases based on stage of life or circumstance of life, and you go through seasons of life where the anxiety level elevates. And what I so appreciate about God's Word is just how real, how authentic, how powerful and personal God's Word is. And the Apostle Paul is going to address this concept of anxiety. And what I want to preach on this morning is how to get to this path of peace, this pathway of peace that God provides to us. How do you embrace that? How do you make choices to make while you're on this pathway that will lead to peace? What choices do you need to make? And the reality is God has given us freedom to choose, freedom to choose. And your freedom of choice is to be maximized, especially when it comes to choices to make on the pathway to peace. So let me give you the first one. If you'll write it down, then we're going to look at God's word together. Here's the first choice to make on the pathway to peace. Choose to rejoice in the Lord. Choose to rejoice in in the Lord. And that's the first step. And we're going to look now at chapter 4 of Philippians in verse 4. Now, as I read this verse, I want you to be reminded of the context. The Apostle Paul is not writing from the beach, watching the waves come in, looking forward to going out surfing and getting some surf and sun. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. He's under house arrest. And his future is pending whether he will face death for him, death may be imminent. So his future is uncertain. But in the midst of those circumstances, even though he doesn't know what his future holds, he knows who holds his future. And he's in this difficult circumstance. He's writing to the church at Philippi that he launched 10 years prior. He's now 850 miles away from Philippi, and now you can just see this letter being read to the church gathered, and he's going to address some very important concepts that deal with the pathway to peace. And in that context, verse 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And I want you to read that with me aloud. Ready? Go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I remember Dr. Adrian Rogers saying this, and I've said this many times here. Rejoice is a choice. Like you get to choose joy. Rejoice is a choice. 
even in the midst of adverse circumstances, even when the river's not flowing your way, even when you're going through difficult seasons in life, you can choose to rejoice. Choose joy, and rejoice is a choice. In Habakkuk chapter 3, if you'll write that, just put H-A-B period, Habakkuk 3.17 through 19. I love this concept. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yields fill no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, it's a very difficult season, a dry season, a desperate season, a destitute season. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. See the choice? I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Rejoice is a choice. And Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord regardless of your circumstances, regardless of difficulties in your life, regardless if you can see tomorrow or not. You be reminded God wants us to rejoice in the Lord. And that's the one common denominator, is our love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you anchor your lives to. If you anchor your life to the shallow waters of your circumstances, you're going to be in for a roller coaster ride. But when you anchor your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you wake up and you choose to rejoice in the Lord always. Step number two. Choice to make on the pathway to peace. Choose to go public with your gentleness, knowing the Lord is near and coming soon. Choose to go public on your gentleness. Your love relationship with Jesus is going to flow out of you. Your abiding relationship with Christ is going to become evident to others through your gentleness. And it's your gentleness knowing the Lord is near and coming soon. Look at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Another word is gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Because the Lord is near. Because the Lord is present. So whatever you're combating in this life, go public with your gentleness. Now listen, the reality is that's a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness. And that fruit of the Spirit in your life will be challenged when you do life in greater Houston. Whether it's the traffic, whether there's a delay that you experience, even in a restaurant, maybe your favorite restaurant, and the service is not making you smile, service isn't what you're used to, maybe your drink's not being refilled, maybe the basket of chips, hallelujah, are not coming back full enough, maybe there's not enough salt, maybe your meal's cold, whatever it is, even in that situation that normally would perturb you, you go public with your gentleness. When somebody tries to cut you off on the road, you respond with gentleness. And you say, but that's not natural, and you're right. That's supernatural. When somebody wounds you, it's not natural to be kind to them or gracious to them. That's not normal. That's supernatural. When somebody's difficult in your life, when you go through a difficult season and you're living on the edge, and yet we're to be gentle 
And you go public with that gentleness. Why? Because the Lord is near, as in present, but also Jesus is coming soon. You say, coming soon? It's been 2,000 years. Now, remember God's timetable. The Bible says that a thousand years is as unto a day, and a day as unto a thousand years to the Lord. So in God's economy, it's only been two days. And we're anticipating his return. And Jesus could come at any moment. Until then, let's go public with our gentleness. And then thirdly, instead of being anxious, instead of being anxious, choose to go vertical with thankful prayer. Anxiety is going to come. Difficulties are going to come. Go vertical with thankful prayer. Now, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. I brought the chair in for this one because I want to have a heart-to-heart with our church family. You ready for that? Look at verses 6 and 7. Let's look at that together. Where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, that sounds impossible. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. This military concept of a garrison at the gate and and your protection will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when you think about anxiety, how many of you have ever experienced anxiety at any level? Would you raise your hand? Okay, if you've never experienced anxiety, I'm going to have you come up on stage and do something. Would you raise your hand if you've never had anxiety? I want to generate some anxiety in you for just a moment so you can experience it. We've all experienced anxiety. That's just a normal emotion. That's a normal response uh, to situations and circumstances. And sometimes your anxiety level is elevated based on the intensity of your relationships, of your circumstances. But here's what's so fascinating. In the language of the New Testament, the word for anxious can be positive or it can be negative. It can add value to your life and others, or it can be diminishing of your life or others. Let me give you an example of where that Greek word is used in a positive manner. If you'll write down Philippians 2.20 through 21. I've already preached on this in our journey through Philippians. This is where Paul's talking about Timothy, his son in the ministry. In verse 20 of chapter 2, For I have no one like him, like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned. That's the word. It's, It's the word in the language of the New Testament for anxious. Who is genuinely anxious... For your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So, this word for anxiety, for anxious, is actually a good word. It's positive. It deals with compassion and concern and care that your care for someone else has been elevated above your own. So now you're anxious for their well being in a positive way, not negative but a very caring way, a very productive way that you're placing their needs before your own. 
That word is also used in 1 Corinthians 12, 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, the same anxiety for one another, the same compassion for one another. And what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth is this is good anxiety that I actually care about you. We care for one another and we elevate the needs of others beyond our own needs. So Paul is not saying stop caring for yourself. Stop washing your hands. Stop using sanitizer. Start shaking everybody's hands. No. You need to take care of yourself. You need to make wise decisions. You need to be anxious about your own well-being. Care for yourself, but be sure that you're caring for other people and you're elevating your compassion and care for them above your own. So it's a positive word there. But let me show you some negative uses. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and following, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now here Jesus is talking about the negative anxiousness, the negative anxiety, the anxiety that eats you alive, the anxiety that is churning in your spirit, the anxiety that gets you off mission, the anxiety that misplaces your priorities, the anxiety that shuts you down. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then here's the example. Look at the birds of the air. Early this morning, I was hearing the birds in our backyard just a chirping away. They were so excited, and it was early. Early, early, taking Tori to the airport early this morning. But the birds were wide awake. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? In other words, the hour you lost by the time change, if you'll just worry enough, you can get that hour back. True or false? False. Our anxiety, our worry does not add one hour to our life. One translation says one cubit. If you'll measure from the tip of your finger to your elbow, it won't add this much distance to your life if you worry or you're anxious. Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Now, why should we not worry about tomorrow? Jesus said, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is a day in its own trouble. On Tuesday, we have staff meetings all day long. And if you're not familiar with Champion Forest and you're new, you heard Lewis mention we're one church in four locations, multiple locations. We have an English pastor and a Spanish pastor at every location. And every weekend, we have about 8,000 people in attendance. We have about 13,000 members, and we have close to 400 employees. And in my role, I'm global executive pastor, chief of staff, and then I've been serving as lead pastor of North Klein with such a treasured experience as we were portable uh, for five years and seven months, 1,995 days, 285 Sundays, portable. And then on Easter Sunday, we moved to this beautiful new campus, So I was very involved with the land committee for two years to find this location. 
and then building this uh, campus, very involved, the architects and the builders, the contractors and the team, just very involved in that process while being global executive pastor, chief of staff. And then we moved in on Easter Sunday, had four morning services. This Easter, we're going to have four morning services plus a Saturday night service, which would be awesome for our community. But we moved in last Easter, and we enjoyed this beautiful new campus for four months. And then our senior pastor resigned, and his resignation changed our reality and it we had to do a lot of shifting around and and it and it deeply affected my rhythm and what I'm investing in and so I had to elevate my role as global executive pastor and chief of staff and I had to reduce my proximity and and ministry here at North Klein uh, which I envisioned for the next 20 years of my life phase one phase two phase three came to the property every day and prayed over the land and the cows that they would become Christians one day And through this transition time, I've had to elevate my role as global executive pastor and chief of staff and had to elevate, uh, invited Lewis and Cheryl to step up in their roles. And Lewis has been more like a campus pastor, plus what he was already doing in pastoral care and counseling. So Lewis has stepped up. Cheryl and our staff have had to step up. Cheryl's more over the operational component of our campus. And I've had to give more of my energy and time to our global reality. And as chief of staff, making some major decisions and changes uh, as we transition to prepare for our future senior pastor. During that time, I turned 50. I used to be in my 40s, and I turned 50. And what I was noticing is that changes are happening in my world, in my reality, in my rhythm. And so I, I had to make a major decision. And it took some time to do. I, I was so open to share with other people, listen, you need to go. You ought to go. You need to go. Why wouldn't you go? We have a department like that that's available to you. Why wouldn't you go? But I wouldn't go. See, a licensed professional Christian counselor, until I hit such a place in my own personal journey of overwhelmed which we're going to do a whole series on overwhelm for three Sundays after Easter. But just a, a season of just overwhelmed. And I'm such a go-getter and a fighter and love adrenaline, love when somebody says it can't be done or, or there's no way you'll pull this off. I step into that, not away from that. I love challenges. I love sleeping four hours or less. I love stepping into those challenges. So I was reading a book by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk that says, your body keeps score. And oh, how does your body keep score? And my body started telling on me. And anxiety and all that I was suppressing rather than expressing, because I'm very expressive, but I was suppressing so many different things in my journey. And my body was keeping score. And so I had to open the door after much prayer and really seek in the globe for a licensed professional counselor who understands megachurch ministry. And God provided the way, and I stepped into that. And listen, I was nervous. I've been four times. The first day I went and sat on that gentleman's couch, and we had prayer, and we started to unpack my journey. Here's the first thought I had. Why did I wait so long? 
Why do I wait so long? Well, I can't go to see a counselor. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. I've got to, I've got to have everything together, and, and, and I embrace this high-level perfectionism, and I've got to set the pace and be the example in every area of life. I can't go to a counselor, but I encourage others to go. I can't go until my body began showing me how high the score was and how high the stress was, and then I'd walk through that door, open that door, and it's been incredible what God's done. Just by getting over that reality of, well, I can't go see a counselor. You can. Now, you pay for it outside of our church, but you can. And God's done such a deep work in my heart and my journey. And one thing that, that was resurfaced that I've shared with you personally here is that when I was in Baton Rouge pastoring right during Hurricane Katrina, a psychiatrist came to see me with his books and was opening up his practice in Baton Rouge or relocating. And I remember while I had him there, I said, well, just curious, Doc, what, what have you seen in adult children who grew up with an alcoholic father? And he gave me four characteristics that are very common. And I wrote those four down in my journal. And then the, the one that really connected with me, he said, you will tend to overassume responsibility. For example, with your dad's alcoholism, you had no responsibility, but you assumed this much. And that grew something in you that in your life, you're going to be battling this pattern of over-assuming responsibility. And so in this new journey with this counselor, he drilled down on it. And my propensity to over-assume responsibility so what happens when you overassume responsibility is you reward somebody who's not carrying their corner. You're causing other people to carry more than their corner. And then your body keeps score and it starts affecting you and your rhythm and your health to where you start sleeping less or you can't get to sleep or when you wake up, you can't get back to sleep or when you're with your family, your mind's racing so quickly, you're there, but you're not. Because your mind's racing and you're over-assuming responsibility. And here's what I want to share with you from the depth of my soul. In this transition we're in, my over-assuming responsibility has gone to a whole new level. I mean, normally I would eat three scoops of Bluebell at night. Just multiply that. <laughs> in over-assuming responsibility. So when we come to this passage of Scripture and Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, the reason this message has been so difficult to prepare for is because I haven't been living that. Where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And the word anxious in this text literally means allowing something to monopolize the concerns of your heart monopolize the concerns of your heart. So I haven't been living this verse. Do not be anxious about anything. I've been anxious about a lot of things, and I've been wearing it, and I've been embracing it, but I push through it through perfectionism, organizing my life. If you looked at my schedule, you would say, you have allocated every hour of your day. Now, actually, for the last 17 years, that's true. But you look at my life, you'd say, you're way too structured, way too scheduled. This is crazy. But that's how I've pushed through 
instead of do not be anxious about everything and go vertical in prayer. Instead, I have just pushed into perfectionism, workaholism, always on, never disconnected, more, 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 and trying to push through. And the reality is you can't always push through. And so God has been convicting me in this passage of Scripture. Now, coming a little bit closer, on Tuesday, we have staff meetings all day. And I, I lead several teams. I'm over our preaching team, what we preach, where we preach, are 17 at that table. Over the executive team of six, the global strategy team of 14, the global ministry team of 68. And then, as I said, we have almost 400 employees, and I do most hiring and firing. So all of that, and on Tuesday, just back-to-back meetings without any reprieve, no let-up. I was nursing chest pains all day long. And I don't mean just little chest pains, like a little thump here, a little palpitation here. I'm talking about intense chest pains all day long. And at about 4.12, in a very important meeting, making major decisions about the future of Champion Force, it was so intense I literally thought I was changing the oil on my truck, and my truck rolled down the ramp and rolled over my chest. That's how intense it was. And I stood up, very lightheaded, told the guys, I, I've got to go. I'm going to, I need to go to the ER. Of course, they get in panic mode, and wait a minute, we'll take you. Let's call 911. I said, don't call 911. I'm going to my vehicle. I'm calling my doctor on the way, which I did. And I asked one of our executives to call Tanya. And I went to the ER. And they did extensive tests. And fortunately, everything came back looking good. Then I went and saw my cardiologist on Thursday. Am I telling you enough? You want to know? You want to come in a little closer? <laughs> and I'll be running a couple more tests. But everything looks great. What it looks like is I'm, it's called cumulative stress over a long period of time that has just continued to elevate without reprieve. And the way my body manifests that, some get sick at their stomach, some get headaches, some get tension in their shoulders. The way my stress, cumulative stress manifests is through chest pains. And it puts me in this spiral of anxiety that intensifies And so what I'm going to be working through is whenever that thing hits, and I can just sense it. You see, I grew up with stress and adrenaline, racing motocross and jet skis and BMX. Like, I was cool and calm on the starting line. My goal was to win. And I knew how to keep everything calm. And even in my ministry here and preaching, how to stay calm in adverse circumstances or intense situations or walk in to notify a family of a tragedy. I can just... Just by the Spirit of God, God keeps me with a spirit of calm. But what has happened, this cumulative stress over a long period of time that has elevated, my body does not rebound like it was when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s. And being 50, my body is really starting to tell on me. So here's what I want you to know. I want to finish strong. And I want to be able to look Tanya in the eye on my deathbed and say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished a race. I've kept the faith. 
I want to be able to look to Tori and Austin and say, your dad has walked with God, and I've been faithful to your mom. I want to model for my own children and our own staff and our church family how to embrace a healthy rhythm of life. But I wouldn't want you to shadow me right now. I wouldn't want you to be in my leather shoes right now because you would get out of your seat, you'd go get in your car, and you'd go to the ER and say, this is crazy. So here's what God's word is saying to me. This is crazy. (laughs) Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, which is common connection and communion with God, and supplication, which is very specific. It's like writing it on a card, putting it in a mail slot, getting on your face before God, and praying over that, pouring your soul out in prayer. That's supplication, very specific. It's where you really bore or bear your soul in prayer, very specific. You're agonizing before God in prayer. That's supplication. With thanksgiving means you're praying with gratitude. God, I thank you that I was able to wake up this morning. That it's a new day. The sun is shining brightly. It's such a gorgeous day. And I'm able to be in church with our church family and our guests. But I think that I've been married 29 years and our our daughter and son are healthy. And our future daughter-in-law, she's healthy and she's teaching and Tori's teaching. And Austin is going to be graduating in one year from Rice University. And we're praying for his best season ever this fall in football. God, thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that I'm filled by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that whatever I'm going through, whatever's over my head is beneath your feet. But God, I'm crying out to you. I don't want to live at this level Another moment. This is not wise stewardship, Lord. This is not blessing you and honoring you. This anxiety that I'm suppressing rather than just praying. And here's my favorite moment of the week. So the cardiologist is scratching his head, looking at all the results from the test. Here's what he said. Whenever you get to that moment, here's what you need to do. And I'm leaning in. And here's what he said. You know, maybe, maybe you ought to just pray. <laughs> I looked at him, I was like, I am so impressed you just said that. But he's right. See, I want to solve, I want to resolve, I want to break through, I want to push through, I want to mobilize the army to go conquer the mountain for God. Maybe what you ought to do is pray. And then in verse 7, Paul says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So here's what I want to invite you into. I want to invite you to talk to somebody if you're struggling, if you're hurting. Don't let pride keep you from reaching out. Because here's what happens when you hide your anxiety and you suppress your anxiety. Your body keeps score. And I'll never forget the licensed professional counselor saying to me, look, this is a major moment. When he said, you know, it's so refreshing to see you and your stress on this side. He said, I normally meet with people after they've already had the heart attack. They've already had the stroke. They've already tried to commit suicide. It's so refreshing to meet you and your stress on this side. Where you can make healthy lifestyle choices to make sure 
I don't have to meet with you on the other side. So we're going to make that available to you. Of course, we have an amazing counseling department at Champion Forest. We're so blessed beyond measure. We have prayer partners that I'm going to invite to stand in place, and they'll be available to, to pray with you. And look, it may not be about you at all. You may want to come to a prayer partner to my right or my left, your right, your left. You may want to go to one of them and say, can, I, can we pray for somebody in my family who's really hurting? Can we pray for a coworker, classmate, somebody on the team? Maybe you come forward to pray for somebody else, and they'll pray with you for that person. But maybe it's you. And I'm asking you, I'm begging you, don't, don't hide your hurt and your anxiety. Put pride aside. And I had to really work through going public on all this today, and God just said, put pride aside. Actually, it's let pride take a ride <laughs> and put it aside. I just want you to know this is the safest place on earth to be real. And if the church is not a safe place to be real, I don't know where we can go. This is the family of God, the body of Christ. And we're here, listen carefully, to be broken together. Broken together. And I am broken before you. And we're together. I think we're making room for God to do his work, aren't we? The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That before we can know the peace of God, we've got to know the God of peace. And the way you know the God of peace is by coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. He already did all the work on the cross 2,000 years ago to pay a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt. As the song says, we could not pay. So Jesus stepped into our mess to address our stress, our anxiety, to address every area of our lives, especially our separation from a holy God. So you'll never know peace with God until you know the God of peace. And I'm going to invite you into that relationship. You can come to any one of our prayer partners and just say, I want to be saved. I want to have peace with God. And they will share with you how you can come to know the Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. Our prayer partners will come get in place. And we're going to sing a song. And this is your opportunity to come forward. And then we'll close out the service. If you're still praying, stay there. They'll keep praying with you. And we're going to let God have his way. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for our time. And we're just so grateful, Lord, for you allowing us to have a safe space just to do life together, to be broken together, to grow together, to heal together, to bear one another's burdens. And Lord, I pray that you'll grow us in this passage of Scripture that we've been studying this morning. There's so much to it. But Lord, to get to the place where we are no longer anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we're going to make our request known to you, God, knowing that the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, will you bring us to that place together? And we pray it in Jesus' name. You respond as the Lord leads you. Come. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day and God bless.